A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And welcome to Secure the Insecure. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest today is one of four siblings who started her career as a scientist after attending university at just 16 years old. Since then, she's become a social media influencer after appearing on season five of Love Island in 2019, where she was known for her relationship with Michael and Danny. And you'll remember that iconic line on the show where she said, what goes around comes around after Danny chose to couple up with Arabella Chi. Since then, with a platform of 720,000 Instagram followers, she's used her platform and her voice to write her new book, Reclaiming, which is out to buy now. I'm delighted to welcome to you, Sukuni Instagram, Nigerian-Irish-born Yuande Biala. Hello, Yuande. Hello, thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for being here. <laughs> this is exciting, because I've been reading your book all yeah. week, and I'm obsessed with you now. Absolutely really? obsessed. It's crazy sitting down, because obviously only a few people have actually read the book so it's crazy sitting down and speaking to someone who's actually read the book after like spending eight months of like sitting in like a box room writing it and trying to finish it on time but that's the because you know you've got a finished product to do at the end but yeah. this is all about you yeah and therefore going through a pandemic coming out of a pandemic you're going to keep questioning who you are mm. and therefore your identity will change every day same as your mood you know you could be going through a really bad time for a couple of days and then be absolutely fine again. Yep. And yet you're writing a book almost in that moment based on how you're feeling right now. So how many changes did you make to that? Even though I've changed as a person and I've grown and I've been reflected, I think the book hasn't changed because I've always had a specific vision for the book. I knew exactly how I wanted to read. I knew exactly what the finished product was supposed to look like and read like. So I think my vision for the book at the start and at the end has stayed the same because of that. You're very intellectual. And what I love about your book, and obviously you've been to university as well, yeah. is that you thought about it. It's thought-provoking. Yeah. You've got quotes in there. You've done your research away from your story. It's your story. It's what you've experienced. It's your vision. But you've added extra depth to it. You've added research from online, from books, from other sources to really back what you're saying isn't now. So, for example, when we talk about racism yeah. and we go back to the 16th century yeah. and you've looked into that. Yeah. And I think that's amazing that you're taking the time to actually take us on a journey and not just 
almost make clickbait news. Yeah, I suppose the book is nonfiction. And with nonfiction, you, as a writer, obviously have to tell your truth. But it's also important to tell everyone's truth. And you you do have to be factual in a nonfiction book. So obviously, it was important for me to do as much research as possible because there is some, some sensitive topics like colorism, religion, and um, body image. And it was very important for me not to just throw out information that wasn't accurate I think when I want when I said I was going to write this book it was so important for me to have my reader read it and be able to take something away I always wanted to write a book that people could learn from and as much as it's about me and there's a lot of information about me I would like to think that it's a book for everyone because there's a lot of information to learn and to take away from it so yes like most of the experiences that in the book are about me but I think it's a book for everyone at the same time a book that someone could take and learn from 100% I've been googling it every time I've read a chapter straight on the google need to know more. <laughs> Wikipedia I need to know more I need to know more because really? you're right it, you're starting conversations that are not being had and it's so important that someone like yourself who's done a show like Love Island who's got this massive platform isn't just going right I've done Love Island, what's next? It's Sex on the Beach, it's Lesbian Dating, it's what can I actually do with the platform to change identity? And obviously we know about that essay that you did a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you started a conversation there and I think to be, and it was, it's interesting, what's it like, I suppose, part one is, what's it like to be the face almost for a generation to have those conversations? And secondly, how do you feel in yourself having those conversations out loud in the public eye? Oh my God, a face of a generation. Oh, that's such a big title. I don't think I see myself as the face of a generation. I think the way I like to look at it is that like, we're all just like living human beings, right? And I suppose you can kind of, if you have a big platform, you kind of determine what you want to do with that platform, whether you want to be a voice um, for the people and speak about certain issues or you just want to fall behind and be silent and not really say anything and I think for a long time I was so used to being like silent and silence that like I just I think when you're media trained like if a story comes out the first thing your agent will say to you is oh don't say anything don't put anything up it's only going to aggravate press and you learn to be silent about certain issues but I think along the way in the last like two years I've kind of found myself a little bit and like reclaimed that voice back and I've used that to speak up um about certain issues like colorism um, and like being a black woman um, and the struggles that we face and things like that and I found it so empowering um, and even like meeting people like I remember I was in Oxford Circus a couple of months ago and I was stopped by this girl who was like I read your article and because of this I feel this way and I've totally changed my outlook on this and this and like those little moments are so powerful or when you get a message from a younger person who's like oh I seen that article and I've done this or I've changed this and I think those little moments really shape you as a person and they keep you going and they they make you want to speak out even more. Has that changed obviously because of the sad passing of George Floyd a couple of years ago that yeah. the media have been more accepting to having that conversation? I think they were forced to be more accepting. I don't think it was something that just happened and they were like oh now we have to. I think it was something that was it was a tragic experience that forced everyone to sometimes it wasn't genuine, sometimes it was, but it, it definitely opened up a door and conversations that needed to, to happen, but it definitely forced a lot of people to start speaking up. 
and have those conversations happen because we always talk about quotas i think and diversity and, you know even an example of the love island obviously has now been on for a couple of weeks and yeah. we know the lineup and the conversation at the beginning when the lineup got announced was is it diverse enough well we've now got a deaf person in there we've now got a certain amount of black people that's enough to mm. say we've done it but has there been enough from your eyes i don't think there's ever gonna be enough i think a lot of people are forgetting that Love Island is like a direct representation of the society we live in now. And especially in the UK, like the black community is a minority. The Asian community is a minority. The disability community is a minority. We're all minorities. So we're never going to be a majority ever in these lineups. It's something that's never going to happen because it's not a real representation of our society that we live in now. I don't think it's ever going to be as diverse enough. I think it's not as simple as like putting someone who has a disability on or putting someone of color or putting someone from a different demographics. I think in order for there to be real change, it kind of has to happen from like a higher level. So maybe like integrating more diversity within the production teams, integrating more diversity in like the executive teams, things like that. I think when structural changes start happening, it will reflect in the lineup in the show as well. But I think that's where we have to kind of start instead of being like oh put in someone who's black oh put in someone who's asian because i feel like that doesn't fix a problem it doesn't because as a jewish person and i'll speak from personal because obviously we've had el booker in who's a previous guest on his kudinska uh but el booker's been in as a jewish person and so i thought you know and i've had this conversation with other people you know like, like should i go on slavsky dating for example and mm. the, the thing was well if i went on slavsky dating or love island i need a jewish person to be with i need a nice jewish girl yeah just because you've put a Jewish boy and a Jewish girl in doesn't mean that they're instantly going to fall in love with each other. I need an option. So I need, let's say, one me, a Jewish guy, and four Jewish girls to choose from. But now you've put four people in that lineup. That's half the lineup are now Jewish. Right, that's that box ticked. Now let's talk about black people. You've put one black girl in, you need four black boys in. You, know, they, they, you can't ever quantify that. You can never make a lineup completely diverse mm. because... You just wouldn't have a show together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. That's why I say I I, I just don't... I don't think we'll ever be happy. Because at the end of the day, like, it's a, ref, it's a direct reflection. It's literally holding a mirror up to society. It's a direct reflection of the society we live in now. But I like what you think about the structure idea. Because, for example, you speak to a psychologist on the show. You have to. You have to have yeah, therapy yeah. in the show. And then when you come out, you do eight weeks or eight sessions of therapy. Did you have a black therapist? Um, this therapist that was given on the show was white. And then when you were assigned a therapist when you came out, she was also white. So would it have helped to have a black person that you could relate to more? Definitely. I think for me personally, um, especially when I've done therapy, I've specifically went out and sought a, ther- a therapist that was black just because I'd feel more seen, understood um, a little bit more uncomfortable speaking about certain things um so for me personally as a black woman i would only personally see um a therapist who's black that's the same as me being jewish yeah. i don't want to talk to jewish because you're right it's that understanding that you know what it's like you know what we're going through yeah and so i like the idea that having structural changes would make a big difference to the show because you're right we can't do anything to the cost but structurally that support system in there being seen so uh, again, from personal experience, if I knew there was an option to have kosher food, for example, that might just enable my experience to be a little bit better. And so I think you're right, that structural change. And I think across the board, not just Love Island, but across the TV landscape, the radio landscape, if you had that production 
values that might help the on-air talent as well mm-hmm. with their understandings yeah definitely i agree so let's go backwards though to get forward because we're talking about love, love island but we'll get there later on let's go back to the beginning of you you Date. yeah so let's talk about your upbringing and your childhood one of four yeah in a family of six what was your role in that family who were you in that family so i'm the eldest daughter and i think just being nigerian uh your role is literally to help raise your other siblings you're like seen as like the second mom in the house so my role was making sure that my siblings could look up to me and have some have a positive influence to look up to also while taking care of them and helping my mum out i think growing up that was like my main role as as a child and what were you like with your siblings jesus um you're you're like god to them that's amazing. I don't think so. No, I absolutely don't think so. I think it was really weird because I don't think it was like a traditional family setting only because I don't think we were really affectionate with each other. So although we like know that we like love each other and I'd always look out for them or whatever, it just wasn't like it's and it's still not really an affectionate type of relationship. It's more of like a caretaker. Because you were 24 years old when your dad gave you your first hug? Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. He's so excited because that was in my book. <laughs> oh, yeah. I read it. <laughs> yeah, I was. And I think even like saying it out loud is crazy. It just wasn't a heist. It just wasn't something that I was brought up in. I wasn't brought up in an affectionate household. So I've kind of had to learn how to be affectionate and break certain boundaries not even just for myself for my future self for like my brothers and sisters I feel like they need they need to see that a little bit more and you know I think it kind of it needs to start somewhere am I right in saying that your parents rather than the love their their way of loving you was getting you into the education system it was making you successful in that working world because I think it was in your book that you said something like you know, we've had to prove ourselves to be mm. here. We've had to prove ourselves to be part of Britain that we're not just take, take, take. And so that's the love they gave you. They gave you that socialization to go out and work and to get a job and to go to university early as a way of loving you. Yeah, I think they provided the needs. They made sure that the needs were met. So things like clothing, healthcare, education, things that a child needs to help them stand alone on earth and be their own person everything like that was given to me and yeah like even with education education is such an important thing growing up in an african household or even being nigerian like education is probably the one of the the most important things so yeah because i think obviously my mom she came my mom and dad came from nigeria and moved to ireland so to them it was like we they had to prove themselves and they and i felt like i had to prove to them that their sacrifices of like leaving a country that was their home and coming to ireland and making roots and leaving all their family and friends i felt like i had to prove that it was worth it and you know they had to reap the reward of doing all, all those things for me so i think that's what i kind of carried on in my life what's the nigerian community like in ireland is it a big community um i mean it's not huge but there is like a nice small community everyone kind of knows everyone um but yeah there's a nice community not as big as it is in the uk but 
Yeah, there's a nice one there. So why Ireland? Why did they settle there? I've no idea. You're gonna have to ask them. That's <laughs> in book no- two. <laughs> yeah, that's in book two. I have no idea. I honestly don't know. I think they wanted an English-speaking uh, country, and there's only a couple really that English is the first language. Obviously, Ireland, Ireland really English isn't really Ireland's first language, but it's the one they speak. And I'm pretty sure it was probably gonna be between the UK and. Ireland and they chose Ireland. I don't okay. know why. How do you feel talking about your sister? Do you want to talk about her or not today? Yeah, no, we can. Because in the book, you talk about how your sister passed away when you were just three years old. Yeah. I, I wanted to know what did that feel like in the family setup? So the fact that your sister's not there, what pressures did that put on you as being part of that family? Because there wasn't another person for your parents to focus on, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think I was so young that I don't like although I have like flashbacks and I can kind of see her and remember certain situations where she was there but because like I was three I can't remember a lot about her obviously we've pictures and we've like videos and stuff but I can't really feel her presence a lot in my life and I think growing up because it was never like really talked about and obviously I was so young when it happened that like when I was old enough to have a conversation about it because we never spoke about anything growing up I found it very difficult to have those kind of conversations. So in my book, I talk about grief and how I felt guilty because I felt like I was grieving someone I didn't know. And I felt selfish that like, why am I grieving and my parents aren't? Because we've never spoken about it. And I think there was just all these like up and downs that I kind of go through in my book with my therapist and I kind of put her conversation in with my conversation and it's it's kind of written in like a diary format when you're eight months on from writing the book and the book's out now reclaiming do you become sensitized or desensitized because you've read this chapter so many so many so many times yeah that it's almost like it existed but it was a a former world of mine you Mm. know i've accepted it i've moved on it's a part of my life but i can talk about it quite openly now because I'm desensitized to it or is it sensitive of I actually need to put myself into therapy now because it's actually affecting me talking about it right in my mental health chapter I was in therapy at that time because while I was writing it I realized that I had some issues (laughs) that I really needed to go back and fix um and I think with therapy for me personally I don't think it's like a do it once and that's it. I think it's a uh, constantly checking in every now and again when you feel like you need. So you're to still help. having it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I think I'm always in and out. Um, it's kind of like going to the doctors. Like you don't just go to the doctors once and then never get a checkup ever in your life again, or go to a dentist once to check your teeth and never go back again. Like it's that's not how it works. And I feel like with your mental health, people forget that like that's not how it works. You don't just go once and think you're fixed and that's the end of it and you're never going to go for the rest of your life I think it's a healthy thing to check in in and out like even sometimes when you feel like you're fine I think subconsciously there's always some issue there and so I like to go back in and out and just see what the crack is I see how my mental health is because sometimes you think you're grand and you're really not so yeah I'm always in and out and right in that chapter I was in therapy at that point and I think you're never for me, I was never desensitized. I think that chapter was the hardest chapter for me to write and even edit because every time I read that chapter to correct, I cried. And even now, I don't think I'll, I don't think you'll ever, I'll ever be desensitized because it was 
big milestones in my life that I lived through, that I felt, and things like that just don't go away, you know? I'm so envious of you that you see therapy like that. I wish <laughs> I could, because I would love to have therapy. I'd absolutely love to have, see a therapist every Friday as my friend, <laughs> and I see them, and I bitch, and I talk, and I cry, and everything. And all I can do is go, well, look at that price tag. Look at that £80 or whatever you're spending each yeah. week. But you do, because... We pay for the, uh, you, you know, it's a classic do, yeah. line. You pay for the gym to get yeah. your body looking good, but why don't you do it for your head? La, yeah. la, la, la. I've said it so many times. And yet, in the same breath, I'm like, but it's another 80 pounds I've got to pay for a week. That's uh, eight times four is whatever eight times four is. I can't work it out. Yeah. But that's, uh, I'm, I'm, I've literally gone blind of what eight times four is. It's 36. Yeah. No, 32. Yeah. That's 320 pounds a month. I can't pay 320 pounds a month. That's nearly four grand a year. But and you yet don't... you do. <laughs> I feel like the thing is there are definitely cheaper um therapists out there 100% because the one that I was seeing was 50 there is a website I can't remember how it is and it's amazing you like get to pick your therapist they have like their pictures and like their ethnicity like the religious everything and you get to like read about them and what they specialize in and you kind of get to pick your price range as well from the smallest to the largest whatever and I think some there there has to be I'm not sure, but I feel like there are some services that are, might be free. I've no idea where, but I think there has well, to be Well, you've got the helplines like Childline, Mine, yeah. the Samaritans, if you ever need that. Yeah. And then, obviously, it depends on your budget. You can actually find a therapist for £40. Now, you don't have to go every Friday. You can just go once a month or once every second month. Whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm not going to lie. I didn't just wake up one morning. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to go online today and I'm going to find myself a therapist. I think with therapy, it really, you really have to be ready. Like you can't go because someone told you to go and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you or your friend is doing it. So you want to do it. You have to like emotionally be so ready to commit to your growth, to your Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
for healing and to want to change and once you do that then I think therapy is good and then I don't think you'll see it more as a as a cost because it's helping your emotional state of mind yeah that makes sense so what was that moment then what was the crux of going I need to actually do something now because it um, takes a long time. It must take like six months to go, I really should do it. I really should nah, <laughs> Talking I, from experience. Really <laughs> should do it. Really. No, seriously, you really need to do it. Yeah. I'm actually going to do it. Yeah. I think it kind of started with Love Island, actually, because I think that was like the first time that I would say that I was seeing a therapist. I had like three or four visits. Um, and it was the first time I was like, I, I knew I had issues, but I wasn't ready to confront them. So going to therapy um, when I came out of the villa, it was something that I had to do. Like, you have to go. So I felt like I was being forced to go. Even though I was being open at my sessions, I don't think I was being open enough. And I knew that because mentally I wasn't ready. I didn't want to sit down and talk to someone about my life. I didn't care. I didn't want to do it. After having those few sessions, like I knew in the back of my head that I needed to go. I knew in the back of my head that I had big big issues that I needed to fix and I thought about it for ages and it wasn't until I actually started writing my book that I was like no I need to stick with it I need to find a therapist that I can stick with and develop a working relationship with and go to all the time and because it's very easy to say oh we should go to therapy and you know we can both preach about it but in those 22 years prior to that, you'd lost your sister. If it's okay to say forceful parents who wanted you to live a certain way of life, you had your religion that that led you to living a very certain way of life. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure on you to almost be the big person, be the big sister. Yeah. Everyone's looking up on you. And like you said, and I quote, I'm the <laughs> Jesus to my family. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> you did. I heard it. We've all got the clip. Yeah, I think the pressure... The pressure was a lot and because it was something that was built over the years, it was never something that like I I felt was a problem because it was something that I just... Normalised. Yeah, I just normalised being stressed and being anxious and, and being like, I felt like I was caged in a box and I had to be this person, I had to be this and I had to be that. And I think I kind of normalized it along along the years. And then I realized that, no, this is not normal and it needs to change. Don't say if you don't want to say, but what's the biggest problem that you think you've got that's led you to therapy and working through it? I think it was control. For me, I think all my issues, especially my mental health issues, started with control. I think I was just so used to controlling everything in my life and... I think there was a point where that control slipped and I didn't have it. And I think that's when my mental health went down the drain. And that's when I can pinpoint my issues starting. Because going on a show like Love Island, that control is taking away from you immediately. Yeah. You, you know, you're not allowed your phone as you when you're in prep camp ready to go into the villa. You're in the villa. We know it's structured reality. The facts that I can tell you so that you don't get yourself in trouble is as a structured reality, you're put in the villa scenario. 
you've got producers kind of saying to you, you should have a conversation with that person. Are you sure you want to do that? And that's why you've got the beach heart, etc. So you're not really in control. Yes, you're kind of in control of your relationships, but there's a level. And so you've got someone telling you what to do. You've come out of the villa. You've then got an agent and a publicist just saying you need to do this interview, this interview. You need to go here. You need to go there. You need, as a social media influencer, you've got deadlines to meet. You've got to get this picture right. You might take 100 photos. That becomes 1,000 photos. You've got to get the caption right. But you're not in control of that caption of that picture. It's everyone else who's doing that. Yeah. But the thing is, the people who have issues with control is, if you can't control one thing, you'll find something else. And that was my problem. I would find something else. So it wouldn't matter what you took away. I'd find something that was mine, that I can control, that no one else could. So when you then go on a show like Love One, and you apply to go on that show, and you're sending your photos off, and... It's all about body image. The whole show about Love Island, it's always going to come back to body image, that Love Island body. You had to get in your mindset to say, I've got a Love Island body. I'm going to be accepted onto a show because I've got my Love Island body. Then you get the cast pictures come out. So, you know, the daily... And I don't actually know this, um, so interject me. But when we get the lineup, so, for example, we got the lineup for this year's Love Island and they ITV announced all eight names of the first eight people taking part. Are you in holding at that point or... Do yeah, you get holding because you don't get to see those pictures so i suppose you can't compare yourself to others at that moment but prior to that when you're doing your application you have to think to a level i'm good enough to get on a show like that i love myself enough i'm sexy enough to get on a show like that and therefore i accept my body as it is i think we get into like a different genre now of body image i think with body image i don't think anyone or I may be wrong, is ever fully comfortable with the way they look. Like, you could look like Beyonce, but I think you'll still have a drop of, like, insecurity about something. So I think I was... I never went in being like, oh, I have, like, the perfect body type. I have the Love Island body type. Like, you know, this is great. I just went in with, like, basically my eyes shut, praying to God that I just didn't stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, but hold on. So as a guy, right, I look at the guys and I go, well, they've all got six packs. Where's the guy who's a bit flabby like I am? Yeah. Who's the one, where's the one with the beer belly? And look, I know, I'm, I'm a showbiz journalist. I know that as a showbiz journalist, as a viewer, I'm a massive Love Island fan. Yeah. I personally, talking from experience, don't want to watch a guy who's my body type on TV because I see it as people that you aspire to be like and I want those people to all fall in love i want them to find someone and so i don't think you would necessarily i know know we're getting into very dangerous territory here but again talking from experience i don't think if you put someone like me on the show the girls would find me attractive and therefore i'm almost like a pointless character on the show you've still got to think as a guy i need that six pack to get on that show i need the girls to really be attracted to me so that i've got a chance on this show because i know if i went on that show now and let's say they did something about body diversity and I got on that show. Mm. I know, number one, no girl would step forward for me and I know I'd definitely be out on week one. Definitely, 100%. But I suppose that's TV. TV hasn't like, I suppose it's trying to, but it hasn't fully accepted normal bodies. I think we are, they're trying to be as inclusive as possible, but I think they haven't gotten to a stage where they're showing an accurate representation of normal bodies and what people actually look like and I think 
with anything especially when you know personally you are going to be on tv you want to look your best so even if these guys who come on and they have six packs and they look shredded i think the question you need to ask is what did they look like three four months Mm. before because a lot of people who go in there will tell you that they were on ridiculous diets and how they were in the gym twice a day and how they were doing this because they knew that like six million people were going to be watching like if you found out today that you were going on love island you'd probably want to hit the gym i remember dr alex george was talking on fern cotton's happy place podcast about this and how much weight he lost before he went on the show and obviously we know what he looks like now and how he's very much about body inclusivity and very much about mental health obviously and he's much happier in the shape he's in and i lost a load of weight during the pandemic just because i wasn't really going to restaurants and what was interesting is i was like my mindset, my the way I think about the world hasn't changed because I'm thinning out. I'm mm. not seeing those changes because it's an internal change, not an external t- change at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's with, with everything. But sorry, what was your question? There wasn't one, really. It was me trying to get you to say, you should go on Love Island, you should apply, you will get on the show you're not fat. <laughs> that didn't work. No, because I should have said that. Um but I was more answering your question as if it was like a group of people mm. who felt the same way as you was asking me why they're not seeing more normal bodies and plus size men and women on their screens. That's how I answered that question. Thank you. <laughs> We know, for example, on Love Island, it was reclaiming your name. You know, that was one of the big things that you went through was someone mispronouncing your name and not getting it right. And your name means a lot to you anyway. uh, Whilst we're there, tell me what your name means, because it's a Nigerian name, Yuande. What does it mean? So Yuande means mother returning or mother coming back. And I was named because... When I my mom when my mom had me, I was the first daughter in the family to be born. So it's kind of like every I it kind of means that like she came back as me, more of like an incarnation. Um so it's like mother coming back or mother has returned. Um so my grandmother returning to the family as me. And that's important to you because that's yeah. part of your identity and not just your identity but your family heritage identity so you're not going to want to forget about that no and same when you talk about identity with your vulnerability in that because you've got to find your way in the world and who are you in the world and therefore your name is something that you know makes you a place your image makes you stand out from everyone else Mm. yeah i think and i said in the book the first gift you ever get is your name and especially with cultural names like they usually always mean something um, and they're giving with heavy importance and it's not about intentional mispronounce it's not about unintentional mispronunciations um i think obviously if you see my name written down and you've never heard it and you get it wrong it's fine you know i'm not gonna kill you <laughs> it's okay but it's about making that effort to get it right and to make someone not feel uncomfortable and to try instead of like force assimilation or like ascribing people nicknames um and it, it just waters it does what it does is it really just waters down my heritage my existence it tells me that i don't matter um it's as simple as a name but it carries so much weight 
hundred percent. And there's a reason we've got the phonetic alphabet. You know, if you're spelling out someone's name, there's always a way to do it. You never have to think, well, I don't, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce that. You can always break down someone's name into three sections, four sections, five sections. Do it with what it rhymes with. So words. So, um, for example, let's say someone's name ends in ski. You could use the words T. Just so you get the pronunciation right. But we should all make that effort for someone. Because diluting your heritage, but also it's diluting your identity and just your self-worth as well. Why do you want to do that to someone? And I feel like a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people will say, like, it's just a name. Why is it a big deal? But I think they don't understand either the cultural meaning or the religious meaning. You one day, in your book, you've obviously spoken about where you are in this time of the world. You've spoken about the future version of you. But what about the younger version of you? What would you say to your younger self now? Ah, the younger self of me. I think the younger self was, like, really confused. Very, like... Misled, I don't want to say misled, but misled by society a little bit. There was a lot of forced assimilation there, just really confused. But I think if I could go back into time and speak to my younger self, I think it sounds so like big headed, but I'd give them my book. <laughs> I think I'd give them my book because there's a lot of lessons that I learned along the way that I've been able to put in my book there was a lot of confusion around colorism religion mental health body image that i wish i knew when i was younger so it's interesting you say that because we always say everything happens for a reason yeah and you gotta go through the bad to get to the good yeah so i know this is an impossible question to ask but you know someone says that they go but yeah (laughs) there's a but (laughs) if you could not go through that hurt. Obviously, that's better. But do not think that because you've gone through that hurt, it's given you those life experiences that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Absolutely. Definitely. I agree with that. That's why people say everything happens for a reason. But if I was, I think if a, a lot of us was given the opportunity to go back, to really go back, I think we would. I think we definitely would. I think we say everything happens for a reason because we know that we can't go back. We, we can't undo anything. But I think if we really, really, really could, we would. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. So let's put this all together. We've spoken about the past you. We've spoken about the present you. We've spoken about the future you. The book is called Reclaiming. What does the word reclaiming though mean to you? (sighs) Reclaiming means different things to different people. Um, But to me, it means reclaiming my heritage, reclaiming a piece of me that I lost through forced assimilation, a piece of me that I lost through society, um, a piece of me that I couldn't find that had locked somewhere away, reclaiming every part of me that I didn't know existed or I was too scared to find out about that part of me and reclaiming that back. I think reclaiming holds a mirror in front of all of us and forces us to look a bit deeper and reclaim something that we lost. And in your book, you've got various different chapters. If you could add a new chapter now, what would you call it and why? Oh, if I could add a new chapter. It's funny that you ask because we were supposed to add two more chapters into the book. And I actually started writing them, still have them on my laptop. And I was halfway through writing both of them. And even though my publication house didn't agree, 
I stopped it and I said I don't think anything else needs to go in just because there's so many other things that you can write about and there's so many chapters you can throw in but I think it starts to dilute the message of the book a little bit the more chapters you add in so I don't think I'd add anything else into it if I have so much more to say but I think if I ever wrote another book I'd add them in there but I'm not going to tell you what they are because you have to read it yeah. <laughs> do you know what you've been so media trend what tv have you got coming up it's, I've got so many things in the pipe like no you don't I've answered I know that question I know that answer and you can tell me that you've got lots of things in the pipe like, I know you don't um, <laughs> you're 26 now you yeah. put out your first book reclaiming yeah what I would like to see in 10 years time when you're 36 is a book called claiming and i'd like you to go through <laughs> mental health and religion and friendships etc 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 and i'd like to see what you've learned along that way and i'd mm. like to see acceptance i'd like to see in the next 10 years you can accept all those things that have happened to you yeah you can see it as another version of you yeah but i love the idea that you've called this book reclaiming and there has to be that follow-up that's called claiming well then claim. buy the book Maybe I could do a follow-up if I if you buy the book. Um no, I would love to do another book. I this was definitely challenging. Um it took everything. <laughs> like literally everything out of me. But um I think it kind of depends on people's reactions, how the book like honestly how well the book does. Cause it's easy for me to be like, yeah, I'll sign another book, but writing a book really takes a toll on an author because especially in this one where I was so open in so many chapters um that it's not easy because in order to write a book you really have to open up so many old wounds and then you have to expose them to the world and then you have to put it out um and then the stress of actually just writing a book um and I had to write that in I was actually given six months but we had to extend it to eight while having a full-time job it's not easy <laughs> it really isn't um so yeah I I I did say to my publication house I said I'm never writing a book ever again <laughs> I said this this took everything out of me but I mean now I've had time to kind of sit down and reflect and stuff I did enjoy the process um but I think if I was going to put out another book again it would be at least in another two years I wouldn't do one back well, I gave you 10 years then I do you <laughs> But that's the thing, because eight months of writing, and you've gone through many, 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 many things, is to get to that point where you've done all the changes, all the corrections, all the editor's notes, et cetera, et cetera, and it gets to eight months, you're like, right, I'm going to press send on this email, and it's got mm. the final PDF on it. And it's that email that you create, and you you draft it, and you template it, and you go, right, I'll come back to that tomorrow. It's that pressing send. It's mm. that final button that goes, go, and then everything's gonna change yeah I remember even when I was doing that you're right I didn't I had it in my drafts for ages and I don't know even though I knew that I was ready and I'd done all my corrections for my editors and the last thing was just proofread by other people and I'd done I'd done my bit I couldn't proof I can't proofread my own work um it was just scary because I knew in that moment that the minute I had I had said that was it like my book was done like people were actually going to read this and i think that was the scary bit it still feels surreal because i'm here sitting in a studio the book is out but like i don't know if anyone has read it back to back yet do you know it's I i'm have. still apart from you obviously you know they're like journalists i'm still in my bubble of like no one knows anything you know so yeah it's we it's a weird feeling well 
You've got to go and buy that book. Yuande Biala reclaiming is out to buy now. You've been listening to Security and Secure with me, Johnny Seifert. Now, Yuande was from the 2019 series of Love Island, and I love Love Island. You know I'm a bigger fan. So if you liked her series in particular, the one that was won by Amber and Greg, on Security and Secure, go back to past episodes. Anton's been on there. Belle's been on there. Anna Vakili's been on there. So many people have been on it. So go and check out previous episodes of Security and Secure. If you like what you heard, if you're listening on Spotify, give it a five-star rating. And on iTunes, it's a five-star rating and a review. Because it's so important you help me say it's okay to not be okay. Thank you so much for listening. On Instagram, check us out as well. At Johnny Seaford at Security and Secure Podcast. All previous episodes are also on there. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Johnny Seifert. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 